hi, I'm Megan. Want to play? Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Away we go. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke. A waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, and I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the Superfly Space Guy, Mac. I have a new primary user now. The classic horror connoisseur, Sean. Look at that face. That kid's not just surviving, she's thriving. And the paranormal paramour, Binks. Katie, seriously, flush the toilet. This week, we all went to the theater to check out a Blumhouse film that's given us a new doll to rival Chucky. Before we unbox this new toy, though, we have some follow-up. Let's follow up on some stuff. All right, so we've been talking about this for a little bit here, but the meetup. We've got a week left to submit your feedback to help guide us in planning the first ever live, in real life, totally fun meetup. Hacker slash the gangs all, all together. I think it's going to be really cool, but we need that last little bit of feedback to make sure we're getting things right. So visit links.hackerslash.live slash 2023 meetup, complete the survey so we can figure out how many people want to go, which city we're actually going to go to. Um, so kind of important. I know everyone else here has been talking about it for quite a while. We are all stoked to see some, some beautiful humans in real, in real life. Um, so yeah, links dot hacker slash dot live slash 2023 meetup. And I'm really excited for everyone to get to see the beautiful Android Mac in real life. It's going to be great. Can't wait for you all to, uh, you know, unscrew his panels and get to see the wiring. It's pretty sophisticated. Oh, <laughs> oh my. Wow. All right. You better pay for that. <laughs> that costs extra. I think a funny development was the idea of, uh, you know, reminding people that people get tattoos on Friday the 13th. So is anyone going to get a tattoo during our meetup? Who knows? Ooh. Not, not me. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I made it this far without any. Of course not. It's kind of like the same principle I have for coloring my hair. I've gone 33 years of life without ever once coloring my hair. So why bother at this point? At this point, I'm going gray. I'm just going to pray I turn into Silver Fox and just keep it pushing. Well, we also have a new patron. Welcome to the family, Annie D. I'm so happy to have you with us. And hopefully, maybe you can join our meetup, you know, this year. Think about it. See us in person. See you in person. It'll be a lot of fun. And that's our follow-up. Well, this week, we're checking out a $12 million baby brought to you by James Wan and Jason Blum and starring Allison Williams. The film is a science fiction horror movie that features an artificially intelligent doll developing self-awareness and taking her role as a physical and emotional protector a little too far. This movie, though, has managed to earn a 94% certified fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a feat it accomplished very quickly after its release. This week, we're talking about the girl who's taken America by storm, Megan. What were you all expecting going into this? I'm, I Come on, I love sci-fi, right? So I was expecting like one part predictable sci-fi. And then based on the trailer, the moments we get, one part wild ride. So I felt like I'm going to see things that I've seen before. But at the same time, I was it got my hopes up. I really thought it was just going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I, I remember when the trailer for this first came out. I know people were raving about the dance this doll was doing in the trailer. My wife, I think, saw it before me. So she's like, oh, my God, did you see this dance this doll was doing? You got to see. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I had to check out the trailer. I, you know, I had mixed feelings about it, this one going into it. I wasn't sure if it was going to be good or or not, to be honest. I felt like it could go either way. I did expect to see some creepy moments uh, from this Megan doll, but I wasn't sure how the plot was going to be or how the movie was going to progress overall. What I thought was really cool, though, was the was the uh, there was like actors while I was watching a football game. There was actors that dressed up as Megan showed up to the Los Angeles Rams versus Chargers game on January 1st to promote the show and even did a dance in midfield during the halftime. No way. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild, man. The lengths that they're going. My dream is going to be seeing Sean dress up as Megan to promote the podcast one day. <laughs> oh, gosh, I got to get the dance down. That's going to be great. That's going to be great. No, you know, just like your wife, actually, I saw it online and like I, I saw just the dance. And at first when I had just seen the dance, I think this was on TikTok. I thought it was a joke, like a parody film, you know, it was very wrong. At that point, I was like, all right, I'm I'm in. I'm, I got to see this movie looked entertaining as much. I wasn't expecting a lot in terms of the plot, kind of like you were saying, because really it was just giving child's play. I mean, you know, it's just like a modern day version of Chucky in some ways. At least that's, you know, based off of what I could figure out from the trailer. But I was really looking forward to it. And then opening weekend, of course, we see these Rotten Tomato scores and I'm like, okay, all right, now this it looks like it's going to be a good time entertaining as much. So I was, I was excited. So a few things that really set the stage for me one obviously seeing the trailer but then two the dancing in the trailer made me think that this movie was going to have a lot of camp in it not over the top slapstick humor kind of camp but i figured there'd be a lot of comedy weaved in there and the other element of it is like yeah absolutely binks you talk about child's play i immediately thought of the 2019 child's play and think about how closely the two concepts feel in, in terms of relationship to one another. But then the other thing I thought was Allison Williams. And I've only seen her, to my knowledge, in two, maybe three things. But the two things that always jump to mind immediately for me are The Perfection and Get Out. And then I think she seems kind of like a serious lady. So I'm sure that whatever camp there may be at the surface, I thought there might be a little bit more substance to this movie but I don't think I ever could have been as prepared for some of the things I felt during this movie because you heard it here first, folks. I cried a little bit. Cried? This shit got me. Cried? I teared up. Wow. It, it got me good. The whole premise of this movie is a young woman who gains guardianship of her niece. And I think the trailer makes it very obvious. We won't go into exactly why or the circumstances, but grief is a very big part of this movie. At all, in, in all aspects of it, right? And just how we go through processing that, how we go through aging, how we go through, you know, considering our attachment styles. This movie had a lot of substance to it. And I did laugh a lot like I expected I would, but I didn't expect to fucking cry. That shit caught me off guard. This is why I can't see <laughs> Avatar yet. You know, the, I, I was not expecting the deeper moments and it had some really deep, really emotional stretches. They were able to sprinkle in that lighter stuff like here and there, right? So it kept me entertained. It kept me interested. But what was nice for me is that moments, it, it did let me laugh. And I think you need that with such kind of hard-hitting depth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it like it was um kind of extreme on either ends, right? The 
the discussions and the dialogue surrounding grief made me feel, you know, very emotional. Sure, I didn't cry, but you know, we're here. This is a safe place. I'm I'm glad that you cried. A little good tear here and there. That's good for you. That's healthy. <laughs> but on the other side, I was laughing like big time. Some things were ridiculous in this movie for sure, and I can't wait to get into it, right? So I think that's kind of it was the mix of both feelings of those extremes that I wasn't necessarily expecting and glad that I was feeling through. Yeah, I think I think you all make a really good point. There was a lot of mixed emotions, which I think is really good. I think it makes for uh, an enjoyable film when it hit, it can hit you. It can it can make you cry or or relate in some ways, and it can make you laugh at other times or maybe in just the right moments. You know, um, I know that there's a lot that's in this movie that you know whether it's loss, whether it's um, you know having to deal with therapists. Whether whether it's you know all kinds of different things right i feel like there's 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 stuff that people may be able to relate to i know there was stuff in this film uh that kind of hit home for me too because i i had times in my life where i had to deal with child protective therapists and things like that and and eventually led to like foster homes and weird stuff like that so like a lot of these kind of undertones really hit home for me it didn't make me cry but i i famously don't cry in movies and my wife like yells at me for it every time so whenever i see a, a moment like that i just look over to her and then she yells at me <laughs> but you know what the movie outside of the emotions the movie was very blue was it not it felt very blue mm -hmm. it, it was it felt like it was giving the early 2000s vibes you know it's because of the coldness of technology and the binary of ones and zeros was that it was that it okay. <laughs> no i don't fucking know i'm just bullshitting <laughs> you know we've we've talked about like expecting the comedy here expecting the camp i was not for whatever reason i just thought it was going to be fun i didn't know we were actually going to get comedy like comedian starring in the movie comedy like ronnie chang being in this movie was such a pleasant surprise to me i had no idea they were going to go this hardcore they didn't do it constantly which is good they spiked it in to get that balance but i was not prepared for some of the lines that they came up with because they just fired them off just randomly in the middle of like a serious moment and it was complete complete jokes and comedy kind of sprinkled in and i, I loved it i wasn't ready for it and then i think i think that actually helped yeah, see, that's an area where I was also pleasantly surprised because I expected way more comedy than there actually was. And again, I think I attribute that all to the swaying, sashaying hips of Megan in the, in the trailer. But I was floored by how fucking funny the little bits of comedy we got were. And I'm not someone like, if we use a food analogy, right? I'm not someone who likes to mix sweet and savory. But this movie is, I think, what I would imagine people are satisfied by when there's like a, a healthy balance of sweet to savory, like just enough to cut the edge of the salt and, and really kind of like raise everything else up together. Because this movie with the range of things that I felt, you know, I, I wouldn't say that any of it was particularly scary to me, but I was surprised by the emotional range this really put forward. I think the the big thing for me was it wasn't it wasn't as much surprising that the humor was there. It was surprising on how tasteful the humor was and not like tasteful as in like how tasteful the jokes were, but how like perfectly timed the humor was. So it didn't feel overly comedic. It just felt like the right type of humor for the right type of time. And it just uh, it was really enjoyable. And I was truly surprised through that. Like I, I, it started off like 
I don't know if the, I wouldn't say like maybe the pace was 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 bad by any means. It just started off in a way where I felt like I didn't know how the film was going to progress and if I was going to really enjoy the film. But once it started moving, uh, that you know that kind of thing just really uh, picked up for me, and the humor and uh, the emotions and the you know the story developing and the characters. I think that was really surprising, and it took kind of took me off guard, and I ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, you know, outside of the comedy, because I think that's definitely surprised all of us, and I know that we'll get more into this in the second half. But for me, what surprised me the most was all of the incredible shots and visual effects that made this movie come to life. And Megan herself, the actress, and how they made her be the way that she is, it's just, I was floored, completely floored, watching some behind-the-scenes stuff after I had left the theater and how that came to be, how they made her, and um, having a voice actor for Megan, just, wow, I was really, really impressed. I think for all it's worth, at the very least, that was something that really stood out outside of everything else, the dialogue and whatnot, how this movie was made, and specifically Megan, was really, really cool. Yeah. You know what, though? You know what the biggest surprise is? Is just how great Gemma's hair was right after getting out of bed. Like, she wakes up, her hair's all messed up, she gets out of bed, walks into the other room, and all of a sudden, it's perfectly straight. That is the power of Allison Williams, that fucking goddess. God, I'd do anything to marry her. <laughs> I need her to teach me the ways, truthfully. She says with perfect hair. Right. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. All right. All right. But it wasn't scary. I can say that very, very, very honestly, because... Some of the some of the stuff that is not necessarily scary but worrisome would be some of the data privacy things they go over, like a toy manufacturer using their AI-enabled toys to record the reactions of children and stuff. That that's a bit next level, and I'm sure we could get there in real life if we wanted to. So it's not scary, but you know, it makes you think a little bit. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I think. What might be scary about this film is if you're afraid of dolls, truthfully. Like, if that creeps you out, then definitely this movie will do that for you. Because, again, I'm just talking about how fascinated I was about how they created Megan. And I was a little like, if I saw that doll in my house, I'm out of there. So that's really, that's the frightening, eerie part, right? But I have to agree with you, Mac. What was most frightening is definitely like the future of technology and parenting as well and parenting mm. through technology. I think that was the most scary thing. But the traditionalness of, you know, jump scares and all that, not as much, no. That's a good point. The uh the the film, I agree, overall isn't isn't too frightening to be honest. There there's definitely a couple jump scares sprinkled throughout the film, how effective they are depending on the person that's up for debate. But overall, I agree, Banks, right? The real horror here is probably the technology and where it's going. Or maybe it's just what's happening with this generation where they can't even lift their head out of the iPad for five seconds. Yeah, that's uh definitely problematic. I think one of the other things I found frightening, again, not that the movie itself is, but the exploration of possibility. And it is the the central relationship in this movie is between an aunt and her niece and the idea of guardianship so unexpectedly. And I think I found myself as someone who has several nephews and a niece thinking, well, first, if, if anything happened to one of my siblings, 
I would be the last one to get guardianship because we have so many proven parents already. <laughs> and then I have an older brother who does not have kids, but is so well equipped to provide. And he, God, he's going to be an amazing dad one day. But man, if I was ever in a situation where I had to take over guardianship for that, that'd be a frightening experience, not because of a lack of relationship or anything like that, but just like, man, I hope I, I shape this person's life well. And I think the responsibility of that so unexpectedly and so tragically can can really pull some emotional heartstrings that it sent me in a spiral for sure. But I think that dynamic of that relationship is what makes this movie different because we've seen robots, we've seen dolls, we've seen AI, we've seen the continuous scope creep and the evolution of technology and how dangerous it is and consumerism and what are we doing these days. But we haven't seen exactly this relationship shown and the processing that is done through that and i appreciated at least that element that it brought yeah i i I think that's a really great point Uh, i was thinking those same thoughts when i was watching the film or especially towards the beginning is i actually have scenarios where something like that could happen right like i am the 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 next legal guardian for my niece right and so uh, me not having any kids at the moment uh just thinking about uh how it would be for a situation like that to be kind of like put upon me and having to deal with that and and uh it it is interesting to think about for sure yeah i think this is this is a really fresh take on some of the concepts here like you know you can get the whole moving talking haunted doll thing you can get robots and androids coming to life and being bad or whatever. But I think just this combination that we get in the movie really touches 2023 in a way we talk about smart home stuff. We talk about AI stuff. We go over children's addictions to technology, which is really troublesome right now. So I think this fresh take is just, it's in the zeitgeist and it's really made for right now. So it feels good. What I think is very interesting because there have been movies where they're in a situation where, yeah, like you guys are saying, the guardianship situation is, is played out. We're, you're talking about this and the movie that comes to mind for me is Mama, um, which is a good example of someone who, like, in some ways has to, you know, take care of these or this little girl in, in that or these little girls in, the, in that movie specifically doesn't really know how to. Um, in this case, I think it's an interesting element to see someone who has such an analytical mind. You know, she's an engineer. She is so focused on her career and getting these products out. I don't know. I just think it's so interesting to have to tap into an element of yourself where you have to care for a child who's grieving. It's like two different sides of your personality and your psyche are playing it out. That part's original, I would say. Something that you don't see. I agree. Like, it's a fresh take for sure. I don't think it really makes up for like how much original the story is. Like, I, I think it's a fresh take, but you see a lot of these bits and pieces throughout other films. You see the, the guardianship. You see shades of child's play. Uh, in fact, you can probably sub in like, hi, I'm Megan. Want to play? <laughs> like anywhere and it would fit, right? It has heavy undertones of that. I think you said it earlier, Mac, that nineties movie smart house, right? Like it has, it has, tones of these different movies you mash it all together give it a modern day twist and you've got this movie what i will say is i I did really enjoy the story the originality being in question doesn't really take away from the enjoyment of the film by any means you know yes it doesn't take away from it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the movie but i do think you know in considering what binks you were saying this idea of someone who is so analytical and having to tap into things i absolutely 
adored that we didn't also fall into any like crazy tropes of needing to be some like maternal image. You know what I mean? Like this is a movie that as complex as Gemma is, she was allowed to be herself. Right. And we got to see her, the cause and effect of all her decisions without her having to mold herself into becoming someone else. Like she was able to grow and in what I perceived to be a very authentic way that remained true to herself without, you know, uh, compromising to any like societal norms of who she's supposed to be or what we've seen women so often be forced to conform to be in movies for like a quote unquote, if they want to have some kind of quote unquote happy ending. So I at least really, really appreciated that. And I think it's what made the ending feel so much more satisfying in this movie. I think, you know, you think about any kind of killer doll movie, you can probably think, okay, this can end one of like two ways. But I think this one gave us not only the goods of a good plot, but also just like the emotional satisfaction as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the ending, you know, just like the movie itself, I mean, it follows a formula and I think it's a successful formula. I think it was satisfactory for sure. Like I didn't feel like I wanted anything uh, more or less from the ending. I really enjoyed watching how it all unfolded and especially, um, you know, the the very end, just, just enough to keep you thinking, right? I, I really thought it was very successful. I love the end. It just, it goes out with a bang yeah, in the, in the best way possible. It's so this is what I was expecting. I was expecting fun. And when we get to the end, we get that fun. We get a lot of action packed into a short period of time. So you have that slow build. We get there. We feel like we've earned it. And then the payoff. Right. And I think ultimately, like in a movie like this one, you kind of might predict what the ending might be, but the way that it's played out is what you can't expect. And I thought that was so much fun. I, I was enjoying it. I was even loving the the monologue that sets off, you know, the ending for us. Just so many bits of the ending were very memorable for me. And I had a good time with it. And at the very end, it left me thinking this question of accountability that I can't wait to talk further about, you know, when we get to the second half. But I think it was just so much of, you know, this technology conversation we keep wrapping our heads around, right? And like the accountability of the actions that someone takes. So I, I loved it. I think it was really, really good end. Well, obviously, we've all felt a range of things for this movie, but let's see how those feelings shape our scores. Before we actually rate it, though, Sean, how would you describe the gore score for anyone going into this? Uh, well, we definitely, we get, we get some blood in this one. It's not a crazy amount by any means. And the kill scenes are not particularly brutal or anything. Uh, and so overall, you know, I would have to give this one a low gore score. I mean, it's tough, right? I think, you know, it's enough blood to make it work, but not enough to bring it out of that PG-13 realm. And funny enough, the film was originally shot as a rated R movie. Uh, it wasn't until the producers felt like it was close enough to being a PG-13 film during editing that they decided to change directions a little bit and resulted in reshooting some of the scenes to tone down the violence a bit. And so it's got to be a low gore score. Uh, the producers knew this film was going to appeal to teenagers, which is why they wanted to make it a PG-13 rating, and they really hit the nail in the coffin with that one, I believe. And what about the Animal Report? Oh, well, you know, wish I could say we were safe with this report, but um, unfortunately, Megan had other plans, so not so great here. The disrespect in this household. 
Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings then. Megan from 2023, now newly released. Was it a hacker or a slash? You know, this one was really well-rounded, in my opinion. It had moments where I felt empathy for some of these characters, some moments that really hit home for me. Uh, it had. It also had moments that made me laugh at the perfect time to really lighten the mood. It, it was serious when it needed to be. It was effective. The film had me drawn in from the majority of the film, and it was genuinely entertaining. I have to give this a slash. Yeah, I mean, this movie was a wild ride. I really enjoyed watching it, especially in theater. The audience reaction sold it. Laughter at the right moments, oohs and owls at others. It was just fantastic. An antagonist who's got haunted doll creepiness and technological danger and protagonists who pull at your heartstrings a little here and there. It just builds towards a fantastic close. And overall, I left feeling very satisfied. It's a slash. Yeah, for me, I... You know, I left the theater and I have to say I actually was, you know, a little disappointed by certain elements of the movie that I didn't get, you know, that didn't meet those expectations I had. You know, some things were definitely cringe. Um, some things didn't feel as gory. But, you know, at the end, I have to say that I was extremely entertained. Um, I felt all the feels and that's important for me. You know, I, I was creeped out. Um, it left me questioning technology and really, you know, the point of the movie is to do that. And it landed very well. It, it did that for me exactly. So, you know, yes, there are things that are ridiculous in the movie, you know, and, and things that you're going to be looking to your partner or your friend or, you know, just wanting to text someone and being like, you can't believe this. Certain elements of this movie that are definitely going to be gifs for sure. But it's such a blast. I had such a good time. And you know what? It's got to be a slash. So I mentioned earlier that this movie made me feel such a wide range of things. You know, when you go into a movie about a doll, I'm not someone who finds dolls particularly frightening. And, and you see, again, how Megan sways those hips and flings those arm around. And you think, how could, how could this possibly be a movie that I take seriously? But beyond the comedy, beyond the creepiness that comes inherently with dolls for a lot of people, this movie did such a masterful job of working with such layered subtext of not only technology, but also humans and just relationships and grief and, and love. And what does it look like to be someone who is so focused on their career, but also working to create space for other things in their life? And Listen, this is another movie that just extends my crush on Allison Williams because I thought she delivered a absolutely stunning performance in this. And I think it goes to show you that this is such a, a tightly produced film. It felt like there was a very clear vision with where it wanted to go. And as I review my notes, I don't have many negatives at all. This is easily a slash and probably one I'll be talking about in our 2023 recap at the end of the year. And so far, Megan has earned a universal slash, at least from us, but we actually have one of our patrons who's called in with a score all their own. Hey, Hacker Slash team, it's Brittany here, and I'm with my daughter, Aria, and today we just saw Megan in the theaters. Now, this movie was highly anticipated in our house. Every morning, every evening, we'd be watching trailers and videos and the viral Megan dance all over YouTube, so we were really excited to go check it out today. This is Arya's first horror movie that she saw in theaters. How old are you, Arya? Six. And she did an awesome job. She wasn't even afraid. We had a great time. And we got to say, kind of controversial, we love Chucky. 
But Megan is the killer doll of 2023. She's taking the cake right now. We really loved how spooky and creepy she was. And you know what? She's the reigning killer doll for now. I think it's safe to say this movie is a slash. It's a slash, guys. We loved it. We hope you did, too. Thank you so much. Can't wait to hear the episode. Oh, my gosh, Brittany. Thank you so much. God, that was so adorable. Arya is so freaking cute. That little voice. Oh, it's so cute. It's so amazing. Uh, it really makes me want to have my own little toddlington to watch horror movies with. I know. I love, I love that you guys were so stoked about it for so long leading up to the movie. Like you were hype about this every day. That's amazing. Honestly, the, the, the pregame activity here is unparalleled, Brit. You're really doing it the right way. And, you know, I think you had made a joke at one point about, yes, I took my six year old to go watch it with me. Don't judge, but amazing time to start. Uh, I'm sure you haven't just started now. You know what I mean? It feels like you've been, you've been doing all the right things with your child, but also what a great, great movie to to bring her along for you know what i mean it's pg-13 it's safe for kids but also pretty serious got some emotional topics i hope she hugged you a little tighter at the end of it now thankfully both of those slashes means that this is not only a universal slash it's like a super universal slash so go check this movie out in theaters then join us in the second half so we can unpack what this doll's up to together we'll see you in a bit friends as an adult is hard. Friends can truly be a great source of support, but they can also be a lot of work. You have to make time for them, put on pants when you're already comfortably horizontal on your couch so you can go out to entertain them in public, and sometimes even put up with their drama when all you want to do is sink into an introverted hole covered up by your favorite throw blanket. Introducing Kevin. Kevin is the world's first mildly intelligent, mildly social android who is programmed to be your best friend the second you power him up and pair him with your phone. Kevin always has time for you, and he never gets bored of the endless barrage of Instagram reels and TikTok videos you share when you're half watching your favorite Netflix show. Kevin is always up for a good laugh, even when it's 2 a.m. and you should be sleeping so you're not an absolute zombie at work the next day. And if your flesh and blood acquaintances invite you out, Kevin will intercept their texts and respond with believable reasons why you can't go out so that the two of you can spend more time doing absolutely nothing around absolutely nobody, but together. So order your personalized best friend today and get free next day shipping with code hacker slash at checkout. Welcome back, folks. You're now entering the spoiler zone for Megan, which has earned a universal slash. Now, we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, let's go through the kills. All right. So there's a total of six kills in this film, three of which are not technically by the hand of this little android killer. You know, cars really did half of the work in this one. But nonetheless, let's talk about them. What were y'all's favorite kills in this one? But speaking of cars, you know, I'm actually going to pull you, Sean, and with the baby, but this time with a child. Ooh. Because it's definitely Brandon, that young boy. Spicy. Because you know what? He was such a royal pain in the ass, truthfully. He disrespected his mom so much so that I looked at my mom and she was like, if you ever would have done that to me. And I was like, <laughs> I wouldn't, it wouldn't even dawn on me, mom. Like, come on. And then when he mounted Megan. Right. The whole theater gasped yes they were like don't don't tell me this is about to happen 
I was holding on to my chair. It was the mounting, but then taking the shoe off. Yes. And taking the shoe off. And it was just like, where is this fucking movie going? Yeah. It was a moment of concern. It had me very scared. And then the ear stretch was nasty because I was like, oh, it's going to pop off any moment now. All of that, loved it. I was like, all right, what is she going to do to him? Was not expecting him to get hit by the car and for us to see it. Yeah. When you just see that shoe and all that blood on the ground, I was so amazed. I was like, you know what? Thank you for that satisfaction. Again, young boy, controversial, but also, fuck that kid, really, is what I feel like saying. A shoe for a shoe. A shoe for a shoe. You're so right. You're so right. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Brandon was absolutely my favorite kill in the movie because really he had it coming once again. But it also was this interesting moment for Megan because we see him being a complete dick to Katie. Mm-hmm. And we and we think about the slippery slope of things, right? Her primary function is to protect Katie from physical and emotional harm. She's just out here doing her job, you know? She's letting it happen. In the trailer – It talks about the fact that Brandon gets hit by a car. I did not think they were actually going to kill that kid. I thought he was going to get hit by a car, but like the the car had stopped quickly enough to do less severe damage than death. Uh, but that, that, that was really a shocking moment. I I don't know. I wasn't, it wasn't a surprising kill to me because I think, like you said, the trailer really kind of spoils it a little bit. I think the thing that surprised me were the kills that I can't list as my favorites because they were too brutal. You know, nailing down an elderly neighbor and then poisoning her. I, I'm not, I'm not here for it, but the ones that I wanted to happen, those are my favorite. So when we get to the very end of the film and we're taking out the boss, yes, let's do it. I'm down for that, but I can't decide. There's two kills that happen right there at the end. I couldn't decide. I think though that the boss is still going to be still going to be my favorite, my favorite kill. So that whole sequence leading up to David being killed is what makes it such a great kill because he is. The comedy in this movie in many places and his death also has to be the comedy in the movie. And it was a nice pairing there as well. He didn't go out in a super serious way. It was still kind of funny. So enjoyed it. The paper cutter. What a unique tool. Right. Loved that. Right. Great choice. Megan being resourceful. Um, so yeah, just overall a really solid ending to a funny character. Yeah. Those paper cutters scare the shit out of me often because a, have you ever used a paper cutter? on a boat that's rocking back and forth. It makes you a little concerned for your fingers, even when you're being very careful. There's also a paper cutter at my current job where the little bit of the the latch that's supposed to lock the pin in place so that you don't fucking slice a finger accidentally with that thing swinging around. It's a little bit too loose when you really get an Allen key and just tighten it down. But those things are so absurdly fucking sharp. And I thought, damn, Megan, you're really out here doing (laughs) the work. Yeah, I I think David was a really good one. Uh, I think to your point, Mac, like leading the whole scene leading up to his death was great with the with with Megan doing the infamous dance and grabbing that paper slicer blade thing and chasing David down the hall. It was such a great scene. But you know what? My favorite kill was the neighbor. Okay, that neighbor was annoying as shit. I mean, here's the thing. 
R.I.P. Dewey. That one was uncalled for. But Celia, on the other hand, absolutely needed to go. I could tell she was one of those neighbors that just gets under your skin. She does annoying ass shit and doesn't care who she bothers. Um, but I, I loved the whole kill scene, the creepiness of her walking up to the gate, the creepiness of Megan impersonating the sound of her dog, Megan emerging out of the shadows, nailing her hand down with the nail gun, and then poisoning her with that fucking spray bottle. I mean, whatever. I think she had it coming. She was annoying as shit. Okay. So my heart hurts for Celia in some ways, but I do agree with you that she was annoying. Here's where I join you in this argument. One, of course, the fucking dog's name was Dewey. Of course. But two, first, (laughs) you know, we, we meet Dewey when he is like really going hard at jumping at the door and scaring the shit out of Katie. And I believe in my heart, right? Like when you when you socialize dogs, when you raise dogs well, they're very sweet. They're very sweet creatures, right? And so when we finally get that moment where Dewey bites Katie, wow, how fucking terrible. And the second I saw that he was biting her, I thought he was going to get put down. I didn't think that Megan was going to kill him. But also I blame all of those issues on the neighbor. So, you know what? Fuck it. Good riddance. That's what I'm saying. I do feel bad for Dewey, even though Dewey was a little bit of a dick. He was just doing what he was raised to do. You know, he was existing within the, the parameters that he was allowed and, and raised in. And I feel really bad for him. I don't think Dewey deserved it at all. I don't think it's his fault at yeah. all. I don't think it's even his owner's fault. I think when you stick your hand through someone else's fence, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's a big risk you can't take it unless you're ready for that pain. <laughs> So, no, I don't think it's their fault. I don't think he deserved it. I don't think she'd even deserve it. I think for her to go out in that way, like being sprayed in the face and all that kind of crap, it's just so extra. I mean, I get, obviously, why they did it. I understand it. But I don't place any blame on them. Yeah. The the dog was defending his domain. That's just what was up. Here's what I'm going to say. Anybody comes into my yard, my dog's going to hop over him, frolic even, Lick him on the face and say, hey, can I show you around? Can I, like, show you where the backyard is? Do you want something to drink? We got a full fridge. Don't (laughs) mind the neighbor cat. Uh, This is the door that locks properly. Here's some windows that maybe are a little (laughs) sus. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, she'd give the full-ass tour. That's hilarious. Again, I feel badly for Dewey. I don't have many complaints about Dewey, except that what a hilarious fucking name for a dog. It's amazing. Here's the thing. I said it early on. A few wooden planks would have saved this whole scenario from happening. Just fix your fence. Be on top of it. Where's the HOA with this one? Uh, But hey, uh, Dewey, I agree. Hilarious name for a dog. The reason that it's really great for me is, well, one, obviously the little Easter egg from Scream. But we have a dog staying at my house right now. It's my sister-in-law's dog. It's a hound dog. And he just uh he just gives me officer dewey vibes and so we nicknamed him dewey and then we go and see this movie and now we get another dewey dog what are the odds of that what are the odds of that that is nuts yeah right, look let me just say super quickly i have to side with sean that neighbor is the worst <laughs> The worst. And in the culture, we would say that she's una chismosa because she is in everything. She was really asking a lot of questions Uh that were none of her business. And you know what? That hole could have been saved by a very large rock if she couldn't even put two planks of wood there. So 
you know what? I was waiting for her demise. Not Dewey's though. It bored. But her, she had to go. Thank you. I have no sympathy. So Sean, there you go. I got you. I guess my other question is, what good would that fence have done? Because the front of the fucking yard wasn't fenced. It wasn't <laughs> gated. You could just go around. We have a fully gated fenced situation. What is, what is Dewey going to do? Walk up to this fence. Oh, shit. I clearly can't go around this, walk out, cross the street, and not see that it's a viable (laughs) option to just go around? What the fuck? All right, too much logic. Too much logic. Hold on. This is not how dogs work. No, but you know what? So then she couldn't, like, if you know that your front yard is open, get it together, ma'am. You're the one with the dog. Well, they put she put the collar on the dog to keep the dog within the confines of the lawn. She didn't turn the fucking collar on. Oh, and that's the other thing. A shock collar, a shock collar on the dog, that's yeah. another strike. That that girl's got to yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. That that is true though. Don't defend her. Don't defend her. Enough about dogs for a minute. Can we talk about the damn robots in this movie and how beautiful they are? Oh my god. Gorgeous. Incredible. Shout out to your boy Bruce. Bruce, like what a what a just an Apollo of robots. Bruce, when when Bruce shows up, especially when we get Bruce at the end, it really felt like a proper kid and their robot kind of movie. It felt like like Bumblebee in a way, where it's like, oh, these two are meant to be best friends. Yeah. Not the creepy Megan doll. Right. I got to be honest, I forgot about Bruce until that popped up, and it was a, a really good surprise for me. I had a low-key worry that Megan would power Bruce. And like turn all the technology against Dang. Gemma, you know oh. what I mean? I'm so glad it didn't go down that way. Mm, well, I mean, not with Bruce specifically. Right. I think that Bruce's purpose at first was just to show like the, obviously the memory processor, whatever, like that that specific chip, I guess, um, that was Megan's demise at the end. Yeah, that's where the thoughts go. Where the thoughts go, exactly. But I didn't expect that they were actually going to use Bruce later on. So that was very cool. I agree. Yeah. I also love the foreshadowing we got when Katie shoots Megan through the glass with a rubber arrow. Mm-hmm. And she says, gotcha. And that's exactly oh, yeah. the spot where she ends up stabbing her for real. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that. Oh, shit. Yeah. But I think my favorite visual element you know, in consideration of the robots is the first shot we have from Megan's perspective, as the silicone skin is being wrapped around her head. Such a fucking cool moment. And I feel like, obviously, we get so many moments like that in movies. And they all end up looking very, very hokey. It all ends up looking very early 2000s sci-fi. Maybe a little bit of sci-fi channel. But this was viable. You know, I love the fucking heads-up displays. I loved the ranking of emotions as she was assessing everybody that she was sizing up. It was just... Chef's kiss. Yeah. There were so many good visuals throughout this film. Uh, I agree, Chris. I think the early stages of Megan's development as an android was was visually pretty cool. Um, the visual of uh, Megan throughout the film was really great, but especially I loved that scene with what we were. I'm I'm not trying to bring back the dog situation, but the aftermath of the dog attack and Megan is like staring at the neighbor all beat up and her hair is messy with the leaves entangled in it. Like I thought that was visually really cool. Uh, even Megan sitting around the huge tree surrounded by all those stuffed animals was visually great, right? And I don't know, even I think close to that scene as well, like the subtle touch of seeing Megan's reflection in the car window was a great visual. T- I mean, there were so many cool visuals throughout this film. But you know what was really hilarious? And I don't know why my mind went here. I really enjoyed the look of Megan 
after being attacked with that hedge trimmer, she had that gash in her head, but specifically the top of her hair was ripped off. And my mind immediately went, and it's probably only me, it's probably only me, but my mind immediately went to that she looked like one of those old metal heads that had just been feeling it too hard for way too long and just won't let go of the hair, even though the entire top of their head has gone bald. <laughs> that's what I, that, that was the, the comparison I got there. And I don't know. That's just me going there, probably. I don't think anyone else is getting there, but I thought that was hilarious. Megan's metal. She's, she's deathcore. <laughs> I'm so glad you went there. I went for the more obvious direction, which I feel very basic about now, but obviously she looked like Chucky. You know what I mean? With like the stitches up, stitch up face yeah. with um, the receding hairline and all. So good, but damn. You know, you heard it here first, first folks. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to agree. The, the shot of Megan, I, I mentioned this earlier, of Megan within the toys was, wow, so impressionable. And I, we get it very briefly in the trailer, but I think in the movie, you're really like just watching it slowly. Um, it was very unsettling. But I think my favorite has to be that monologue that she gives at the end to Gemma um, when she's approaching her slowly the lighting in that scene is insane because it it's almost like when the light hits her face she's saying like the most sinister parts of her monologue and like the most like real jabs to Gemma as she continues to progress closer and closer to her and I thought that was really really cool and like ooh, that had me wrapped around her finger for sure I was like yeah Megan you tell Gemma yeah let her know to go more into some some Megan love my favorite scene in the movie is when Megan is finally unleashed in the office. And that is just that whole sequence of events is where all the action really kind of takes place. And the dance scene finally happens that everyone was waiting for. And it's ridiculous. And for some reason compelling and you want to watch more of it. That was uh yes, that uh, of course, that is an amazing scene in the movie. I, I had some subtle ones, right? Like I feel like, one that that really uh got me laughing uh early on was the scene where they're at the like the little school thing and uh that mom Holly I think it was is just talking about her son Brandon right and saying oh he's such a a sensitive soul and saying hi to him and Brandon responding to her and saying fuck off Holly it was just so good it made me laugh and then it was even better when Holly was like Oh, it's such a fun age. Pure comedy. Pure comedy. I'm telling you, my mom was like, is it? Is it a fun age? (laughs) That was good. That was good. As good as that scene was, my favorite scene comes in what I think is one of the saddest scenes. And that is during the demonstration in front of David for the first time. And Katie breaks down crying. And there is a, a sentence that is uttered. That has been haunting me every single day since watching this movie on Friday with Sean and his wife. Oh, no. Ooh, okay. And I'm going to try not to get choked up. I'm worried I'll one day be looking at pictures of my mom like she's a stranger. And that, ooh, just fucking got me. And to then see the potential of Megan's technology. Yep. The capturing memories to keep it there. And then creating that bond. And to see how there is some good programming in Megan from Gemma. To be able to turn on a dime and then recognize the nuance of human grief and processing after only just recently learning what death is, it was so masterful. And to have that emotional weight and consider the possibilities of that, but then also thinking about the danger of that moment. Fuck, it was just sensational. Yeah, that that was actually my favorite scene too, because I think we talked so much about how the movie has those 
comedic bits to it. You know, obviously we know the the plot of the movie, but I didn't expect that we were really going to dive into it as much as we did. And I think what's surprising the most is that it's such a interesting way to talk about grief with a child, but we're exploring it through AI. You know, how a, a machine, a robot is literally being able to have this conversation where Gemma cannot or has not. And so that also was a little bit eerie too, I think, because it's, it's literally capable of having these conversations where that should be coming from your aunt, essentially. But that depth of that moment was very, was very nice. Granted, there's a small bit of, um, of a little something that pulled me out of it though. The singing in that scene, uh, killed the moment for me just as a smidge, but you know, it's okay. I'll forgive it. Yeah. But see, so it gives you the feels and then it places the comedic value right where it needs to bring you back out of that to be able to enjoy the rest of the film. So you're not just bummed out the whole time. It was oh, perfect. Okay. It was perfect. And I think it was also playing to the idea that this is a toy that a toy company wants to sell. And it was almost like she was making herself more sellable for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but you know what? I got to say, uh, and this might tie to, you know, uh, one of my favorite scenes and tying back to one of my favorite visual elements, but kind of combining the two, right? And, and you know, this hits me every time. But when you're going back to the scene where Celia is looking for her dog, right? And she's approaching the gate and it's it's nighttime outside. It's dark. The wind is blowing. The leaves are, are blowing around. Like, I don't know what it is, but the way they shot the scene as she's approaching the gate, it looked eerie. It looked creepy. Um, I just don't know what it is about chilly fall night vibes that really gets me every time. Because chilly fall nights are the best. That's why. It's true. This is true. Yep. They're either very creepy or very comfortable. Uh, both are great. Exactly. You know what's funny is we, we've barely, I feel like we've barely talked about Katie this entire time. Mm. Yeah. I guess we've kind of like skirted around it, but never really don't like dived in. I think she was incredible. I know her from Haunting of Hill House. Yes. From the trailer, I was like, oh, we're about to get the performance of a lifetime. Also a show about grief. This is about grief. I'm ready strapped in let's go yeah she delivered such weight she was really just punching above her weight class this entire movie but in a way that shows her potential and her range she was absolutely phenomenal and the way she swings the tantrums to the really deep emotional pain that she was enduring and then trying to like pull it together it really you know made me think about like even just the way that i grew up right i was surrounded by siblings still felt a little bit like disconnected or a little alone in some moments but there's times when like you know i had one of my grandfathers pass away and i don't know that i ever really processed that correctly because we think about like talking about death sometimes we don't always sit down and have the real deep conversations that we probably should we say the things that try to soothe the pain and put band-aids on things, but maybe we don't dive into the real processing of things. And that's what you have to learn to process as you grow up. And so to take Katie into the situation where she gets none of that, she gets, the, you know, the simple platitudes, but it's almost as though Gemma also doesn't know how to process this, right? We don't know much about her parents at all. We know that Katie's dad's parents are in Jacksonville. So it leads me to think that Gemma and her sister were the last ones standing in their family, no extended family or grandparents there. But to th even think about where she is in her life 
and to think about how she is processing the loss of her sister, who I think it sounds, it seems like they had a good relate, a positive relationship, if, you know, not strained by distance and schedules, et cetera. Man, it was just so fucking good. Like I loved their dynamic together. Yeah, I agree, right, with that, with that statement right there. I thought I really enjoyed the work that both, um, Allison, uh, Williams and Violet McGraw did in the film. They worked really well with each other. Um, I got all the emotion out of Violet. I don't know if I, I mean, outside of that, I don't know how much, uh, I was sold on the emotions coming from Allison on the death of her sister, but I definitely got the emotions of having to deal with the aftermath and having to take care of a child. And maybe, and I'm not one to speak, right? I don't, I haven't been put in that situation. So, you know, it's, up for interpretation i guess if you haven't gone through it so i don't know if it's you have to put more focus on taking care of this kid and less focus on grieving in that moment in time and so maybe that's the dynamic but i thought the two of them did such a great job they worked really well chemistry wise together in the film yeah and i was also just thinking though about even some of the comments that you know Gemma's sister was making about Gemma as they were driving and how she didn't have to pay for stripping because she works for the company and obviously her parenting style is not compatible with Gemma's choice of career and her goals. You know right. what I mean? So to see the difference in those two sisters, I still got the vibe that they had love for each other, especially if, you know, she felt good enough leaving her and Gem- and leaving Katie in, in Gemma's custody, you know, to even think about the differences there and, and, and to consider how on her own Gemma has been and now having to raise a child who has been raised with very strict regulations on screen time, all the more impressive. I think their conversation in the car that really, to me felt that they thought she was kind of detached. You know, she's on her own. Like you said, she's obsessed with work. That's really all she does is live her work. And everyone, every one of us has been there before where you are so detached from your family because that's all you have is work. I don't think it was necessarily judgmental, but I think there was some sort of strain where it's like, ah, she's off just doing her own thing, whatever. And then when you see the two of them connect, you realize that they're not wrong here, that she is really in her work. She's not not processing what's going on, but it's it's a delayed processing. It's like put it on the back burner because I have to do these things and I don't really have the time to deal with what's happening. And so when she's taking Katie on, she hasn't she needs to make that space, but hasn't made that space yet. And so how can she help her if she hasn't even made the space for herself to process what's going on? And she's really not helping her create that space to talk about things. She's not letting Katie bring this stuff up and really process it with her until trauma, of course, happens later in the movie when she like just completely unfurls a like totally reasonable thing to say in that moment and and tells her like, yeah, I'm going to miss them too. Yeah, I know you want to see them. I want to see them too. We can't. That's over now. She should have done that from the beginning of the movie, except there would be no movie. Hurt people, hurt people. I find this so fascinating because I have a very different opinion of Gemma than you all do. I did not get the vibe whatsoever that they had a positive relationship at all. To me, it was just like, I mean, I have a sister. Why wouldn't the daughter just go to my sister? You know, who obviously has a very well-off career, so she's going to be taken care of because my sister works with this big company, like that kind of vibe, right? Not that there was any like emotional tie. Sure, I can see that. Yeah, she's off doing her own thing, like you were saying, Mac, but nothing about even the phone call or like, you know, her in the hospital when she finds out nothing about Allison's acting evoked to me that she was really sad, or that she was really grieving. I think about how 
relieved she was that Megan could do all of these things and all these parenting things for her while she can quite literally her own words kick back and relax and do what she and you know have time for all the other things that you want to do what I received from the movie was ultimately at the end of the day Gemma is a parallel of Megan this robotic nature that has one a one-track mind you know her input is to create this robot or to create this product for this company And she has to do whatever she has to do to make sure that that's done. You know, Katie is not a part of her system, her operating system. It's not a part of her tasks that she needs to complete. That'll, that's a project for another time. So I thought that parallel was really unique. But in terms of her, like, you know, having any emotions towards Katie or anything like that, it, throughout the movie, it just seemed like Katie was a nuisance to her. You know, you can clearly see that this young kid is not doing well, but you're forcing her to do these presentations and kind of like, you know, guilt tripping her a little bit or just like, if you feel okay. I mean, this young girl literally got bit by a dog. Clearly it hurt. And you're more worried about making sure that you can have her do this presentation. So I think going back to one of my favorite scenes, which is that talking about grief with Megan in that presentation when she's just staring and seeing this i was like yes i hope that you feel like shit truthfully because that could have been you and i know that you have it in you to kind of do that and talk about your emotions but you're too busy thinking of something else so yeah first off what a great take on katie didn't pick up on the like the analytical and binary like parallel there absolutely love that it's like uh, she knew how to code megan to perceive the nuance that she couldn't really do on her own separately from this perhaps about a bit of this is me doing my own projections as being the sister who is away like i was i mentioned earlier i have several nephews and a niece and when most of them were extremely young some of them mere months old i left for 11 years so i would come back and see them on holidays and everything is cool and while i had a positive relationship with my sisters we weren't and my brothers we weren't like texting every day catching up i'm not seeing like a whole lot of like pictures of them growing up and to the point where you you come home one day and then it's like wow this child is a full-ass grown child now or like my nephew is an adult it's kind of fucking wild and so i aligned with Gemma a lot in the suddenness of things, in the understanding that their relationship may not have been perfect, but it doesn't mean that it was bad. You know what I mean? Like, at least that's that's just me. But I think what's really interesting is that the, the curiosity of where did this story, where was this story before the opening of this movie? I want to know the character work. I want to know what Allison Williams imagined for Gemma and, you know, what maybe her and the actress who played her sister collaborated on with their family history to deliver the nuance of their lines. I want to know what all that was because it was clear that Allison as Gemma really portrayed a lot of, you know, a severe lack of emotional intelligence, extreme intellect, extreme intellect, but a severe deprivation of like emotional intelligence right so i'm curious on their backstory right it's a lack of empathy typically ai they have to learn that you know what i mean that's something that they aggregate with data and it almost seems like Gemma also had to do the same eventually with the therapist telling her like trying to get her to realize the way that she was acting her friends or her coworkers that were saying don't you realize what you're doing with megan like is kind of crossing a line here and then all culminating into that big scene where she's, um, you know, where Katie is talking to 
uh, Megan and Megan is helping her process this. She has to learn empathy through all of these experiences versus having it already. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And it's wild though, because I think, you know, I, I think about so many people I know right now who do lack empathy, not because of a coldness of their hearts, but a lack of experience in conditioning by the world. You know what I mean? And I think about like, there's someone I know in particular who finds the human mind so fascinating, but it's more like he studies it at a distance instead of feeling like he can relate to it. And I think that's a really interesting observation too. So damn, Allison Williams really just delivered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Man, this got way deeper than I thought it was going to go, but I love it. I mean, I think it was really great. I know, honestly, Binks, I think your take on it really opened up a whole different view, which I thought was really cool. But I got I got to say, I think also when we look at um, really what they did with Megan overall, I think that was like two different girls that worked with Megan, right? Like there was one mm-hmm. girl that played Megan and then there was one girl that did the voice of Megan, right? And I thought yeah. the both of them did a really phenomenal job when you think about how that came together. Yeah. Incredible. I'm telling you, I saw the behind the scenes immediately after and I, and I was almost like, wait, there's two of them. Yeah. Like this is how this was done. It's so cool. Incredible. You know, for as deep as we've gotten here, I think we can all align on the therapist being a bit much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The worst. Absolutely. The worst. The worst. Absolutely. It was the so judgmental. You could feel the negative energy coming from that therapist, like wanting to pick apart the negatives and find you or catch you in something or some reason to do something to take this child away. I fucking hate that shit. It hits home for me. I fucking hate that shit. I hate these therapists that are out there just trying to find the negatives and not looking at the whole picture and trying to really establish what's going on here. Fuck that shit. Right. At the very least, like, be helpful. Because, okay, if we want to say that Gemma was grieving, which I'm sure she was, right? I'm not trying to, you know, remove that element to it. But, ma'am, this person also lost their sister. Like, could you have a moment? Could we have a B? Like, so sorry that this isn't Toys R Us in my house. Right off the bat, like, let's let's calm down here. Absolutely. You have to be careful when you're when you're playing with like the livelihood of children, when you're playing with the livelihood of families being together, you have to make sure you're analyzing things correctly before you potentially tear something apart, right? And and that's what I'm saying like it I, you know, I don't want to dive too far into it, but like shit like that had happened to me as a child where I was like taken away from my family, had to spend months in a foster home, and my family had to fight to get me back into the house and like is every family perfect no but i don't think like when we jump the gun and jump to conclusions and toss you in an unknown environment where people don't necessarily give two shits about you like it's not a good experience so i it just that was the part that really hit home for me and i just like the therapist was like the ultimate villain in this film for me Mm -hmm. i just didn't appreciate how judgmental she was when she's in the house watching them really kind of taking over how how they're playing Okay, let's take out one of my collectible toys. I'm sorry, you're how old? You know what a collectible is. You know that these old things are worth a lot of money. Or are you judging me that I haven't opened them up and started playing with them with a child? Okay, first of all. Second of all, let me show her how to play with it, right? Well, let's see how she wants to play with it. Okay, that's great and everything. She's not though, so I'm going to help her out a little bit. That's like, that's like, hey, here's some Legos, right? Here's the instructions on how to build the thing. No, don't give her the instructions. Just let her do it. What? Yeah. So there's that moment where Katie finally comes around to where Gemma is working 
and her eyes light up and Gemma gets like she gets to see Gemma in her natural habitat. Right. And I think obviously, you know, the therapist was treating this as I'm going to treat you like any pair of adult and child. And I'm going to apply very broad, generic strokes to how I think you should interact instead of letting Gemma and Katie find their dynamic together, because you can see that when Gemma was able to spark Katie's interest and when she was able to start figuring out who she is and what parts of her she can share, they were off to a good direction. Now, again, had we just stopped one step short of AI robot that is in beta right now, maybe things could have been very different. Let me just also say I open all my collectibles. <laughs> but also, like, it's okay to not fucking open collectibles. That person needs to just be okay with the fact that not every toy is for a child to rip open and play with. Like, it's okay. That child can learn to appreciate things and not open them. Right. And they've been in the house for, what, 24 to 48 hours? And she's like, where's all of her toys? Yeah. Well, she's of what age now? She's probably not even playing with toys anymore. All she's doing is playing with the iPad. Stop judging us. Get out of the house. Chill. <laughs> to me... I mean, it's it's maybe a bit harsh, but that was some of the worst parts of the movie was, it was just those interactions were really rough. And I know it's on purpose, but it really kind of sours it. It really kind of makes you hate that character a lot. Now, that's perhaps on purpose. Maybe it's because I don't have a lot of negative stuff to say about the movie, aside from sometimes the comedy gets a little too campy, but they reel it in, so it's well-balanced, but... No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Lydia just was like so toxic and that, that really sours some good moments in the film. You know, when I think about the, the moments that soured the experience, I think back to before the movie really even started playing. And I think back to the Evil Dead trailer, uh, Evil Dead Rises trailer playing in the theater and how Sean, his wife and I were just all sitting here vibing, enjoying the gore fest that was on screen. And then we see a gaggle of teenagers. <laughs> Maybe even, dare I say, <laughs> preteens enter so loudly, <laughs> announcing themselves from seven miles away with their gigantic, their, with their gigantic backpacks, <laughs> paying no mind to anyone else in the fucking theater in our experience. And then I thought, oh no. It was a wave of dread that rushed over me because then I had to look up and verify that this movie is PG-13 and there was no barrier to these children being in this room with us. But <laughs> it wasn't as bad as once the movie finally started. But the worst part of the actual movie watching experience was the musical breakdowns and musical moments and the kids fucking singing along with it. Because, listen, I love a good musical. I love a good sing-along. I sing along to a lot of bullshit. Was I singing Bulletproof in my head? Yes. However, they all broke out unanimously. And while it was a cute unifying moment, it was also excessive. Okay. And so we are 100% aligned with this because that's exactly what I was going to say is that I think that the worst part of this film was having to sit through the movie with an entire row of fucking teeny boppers. The worst, I mean, literally, they just, uh, the sing-along moments, the, the getting up and doing musical chairs and switching between and sitting on each other's laps and the cell phone lights and all the dumb shit that I get it. I was that age once. I probably did it. I get it. But like now sitting in the seat, watching it unfold, it was super annoying. But did you do it in a horde of 50 other people? What the fuck? Like 
Two to three kids. <laughs> tops. I get it. Where are my introverts with my close little friend circle? Nah, this is like a field trip. This was a full class. Why the fuck were they not in school? And I get it. Yes, technically school would have been dismissed by the time our 445 showing rolled around. Go to some fucking after school program. Go read a book. <laughs> go, <laughs> go, play, read a book. go play a team sport. Not the after school program. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, what did I say with their fucking giant backpacks looking like a bunch of little t- like turtles walking around? It's concerning that they brought large backpacks, truthfully. What is happening there? They they brought every snack that their mother packed them for lunch. They didn't eat it at, at lunch, and then they brought it to the theater, is what they did. <laughs> See, I'm sitting here thinking they brought vodka. Or that. Uh, oh, no. In the Sprite bottles, oh, you know? Oh, no. I love how I didn't go to the movies with you all, but I had a similar experience, except they didn't sing. In our row, there was also a large group of teenagers, and then another smaller squad at the front of of the theater and i was like all right these people to my left they seem like they're kind of calm it was like a girl gang you know and i'm here for that um the ones at the front of the screen they're problematic from the concession stand all the way to the theater but i was like you know what they're far away maybe they won't be so bad they did not sing during those um you know those musical moments but they were like this is gonna be a jump scare this is gonna be a jump scare and i wanted to grab my popcorn and just throw it at them be like, that's a jump scare for you. Could you please <laughs> just stop? That would be great. Rewind less than 30 days ago when Binks and I were saying that to each other alone watching the mean one. Honestly, though. It's different when kids do it. Yeah. No, it's different. It's different. But okay. To get to the worst part, though, it is still the singing bits for me. It is still the musical moments. Although I didn't have teenagers singing um, I did not like the musical moments. And I get it. You guys brought it up earlier. It is to pull you back into the comedy. But I wasn't singing along. I was like, wow, I I hate these songs, actually. I was just, <laughs> it was like nails to a chalkboard. I yeah. was like holding on, like, let this end. And if I was home, I would for sure, th- that would be the moment where I fast forward them. I, I fast forward until it's over. Okay. What if in that moment... Megan instead opened her mouth and said, there's a possibility. <laughs> if it was, look, you know that if it was, if it was Paramore, if it was Lincoln Park, we'd be talking a different thing. I'd be in there. I'd be like, yes, go for Break it. Yeah, it'd be different. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough for me. This, this brings up a good point to me though. I actually cannot wait to watch this again, but at home with headphones on, sitting in the comfort of my own couch, getting all that sound design squeezed right into my ears. Yes, definitely it's same. A, it was great to watch it in theater, but I, I think I, I wouldn't buy another ticket. I can't, you know, I can't wait to watch it actually at home where I can really soak it up. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it at home as well and maybe have like a stuffed animal or like, you know, like one of my Funko Pops nearby and just think about <laughs> like, ooh, what if it just turns its head, you know? Oh, no. That'd be creepy. Oh, gosh. What if it blinks? If it blinks and I'm throwing it out the window or telling Cullen to eat it. Oh, no. I really want to watch a double feature of this and the 2019 Child's Play. Interesting. That would be good, actually. I, I definitely wouldn't mind watching this one again, for sure. I, I probably will end up watching this as soon as it releases, um, because I think it was a, it was a fun movie. And I, I, I know that I have uh, friends, even family members, that probably would enjoy watching this film. So I definitely see myself watching this again in the near future. Actually, I, I think it would be fun for a triple play, Child's Play, this movie, and AI. Oh. Ooh, that'd be good. It's a real culmination. 
Well, I think the fact that we all want to re-experience this movie is certainly an indication of how strong our universal slash rating is. And listen, folks, we've had a lot to talk about here, but the discussion doesn't end here by any means. There's still so much to unpack. You know, we, we didn't even go into the depths of Katie's grief in a way that I think you probably could in watching this movie. So we want to know what you think. Please let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, in this family, we don't run from trauma. But also, this is the part where you run. Oh, yeah.